You're listening to Unscripted with Alex, a podcast that empowers young families to make choices that are best for them and their children. Welcome, Sarah, to the podcast. Thank you so much. Today's conversation is going to be an interesting one. So we're talking about baby and toddler sleep, and that is quite a controversial and can be a very sensitive topic, I suppose. Yes. Um, Often when these conversations happen, it's when mum is already quite vulnerable because they're very sleep deprived. And so they can be influenced maybe in a direction they would not normally go potentially, um, or it can sometimes lead them to um, being in a worse state than they were before that conversation happened. Definitely. So we're going to talk today a little bit more about what's biologically normal and helping people find the right sustainable option for them as opposed to giving anything that's too prescriptive. Um, but to start off with, I want to hear more about you and your story into becoming a mum and how sleep tied into um, your journey. Well, I decided to become a baby sleep consultant when my son was about, well, I looked into it when he was probably six or seven months old. Not because I had a particularly terrible time with sleep, but just because when he was born, I actually had quite bad postnatal anxiety. So I found that sleep was something I could really focus on and I became quite fixated on it. Um, And I found that there was quite a lot of science behind it. And I'm also a nurse, so I liked that there was science and I felt like there was um, almost an element of control that I could have over that. Um, now looking back, it's just that I was quite lucky and he was actually a relatively, you know, relaxed and chilled out baby who actually just slept quite well. Um, but you know, it helped me at the time. So anyway, and then I managed to find, um, a way to become a babysit consultant. So I was like, well, I want to do that because I think that I would like to help other mums who were in that situation. And so this is kind of where I ended up. I have since had another baby um, who has proved to me that my son was definitely just a good sleeper um, and she's definitely tested um, me and all of my knowledge. (laughs) Um, But I think that that's almost a good thing. You know, it's almost like um, my partner tells me it's good to uh, try before you buy. It's almost like I can say that these are tested theories, tested methods. I've given them a go myself and this is what worked for me, not only for me, but for clients as well. So yeah, and that's how I ended up here. So even as a sleep consultant, it doesn't mean that your baby is going to be sleeping like a straight through the night. I don't know why they say sleep like a baby. No, but no, no, it generally does not mean that you. nobody's immune to sleep troubles with their child. And I think that every parent is going to encounter some struggle with their child's sleep regardless of how well their child sleeps at a particular time, at some point there's going to be some kind of struggle that they're going to encounter. It's just part of parenting, I think. So the information that is out there, um, Googled and thrown at us through social media, it's overwhelming and it's very conflicting. There's people that say doing uh, controlled crying is the way to go. Then others say doing controlled crying is definitely not the way to go and you should just um, tough it out. And then there's X, Y, Z of ways that you should do it. How did you sort of sort through all of that conflicting information as 
going through becoming a sleep consultant? So all of the information is out there and available, and I certainly had to study all of it. So the, the, there is a vast spectrum of sleep training from Cry It Out, which is the sleep training method which has quite a bad reputation and I think is what people, when you hear the term sleep training, that is what people think that you are doing. Um, Cry It Out would entail closing the door and not coming back until 7 o'clock in the morning or a specific time in the morning and literally letting your baby cry it out for that period of time. So that being one end of the spectrum to very, very gentle sleep training um, or attachment-style parenting whereby parents, um, uh, like it's very child-led and attending to the child's needs despite the time of day or night. Um, but, yeah, there's a very vast spectrum um, and all the things in between. Um, and I think that the important thing to know is that what works for one family doesn't work for another family. It's also very temperament-based. Um, so I have two children. One responded very, very well to gentle sleep training methods. He's still at three and a half, likes us to be present while he falls asleep, um, you know, hold his hand or lay on the bed with him. Um, he really likes that. Um, and then I have a child who, no matter how much I tried to gently sleep train her, she absolutely refused. And we did have to use a little bit of control crying or space soothing or whatever you'd like to call it. So it's some small, short increments of her crying before supporting her, you know, to calm her down and help her regulate that emotion. Um, and then she learned to fall asleep independently by doing that. And that was just my experience with my two very, very different children. Um, and I think that it's just when when you're standing back as somebody who may judge someone else's um, choices as a family, it's important to remember that, you know, there's no two children who are alike and just because it's worked for them, it may not work for you and vice versa. Now, that brings us to um, this term sleep regressions, which would have to be the most Googled term at, you know, every stage of that um, first year, maybe first couple of years, did I have a sleep regression at six yeah, months? Yeah. Did I have a sleep regression at nine months? What's going on? What's going on? And it's probably, it's a very unusual term too, isn't it? Because it's a time when they're developing and they're leaping forward, they're not regressing back. Absolutely. So talk to us, what's going on around these um, fussy periods of sleep? That's a much better way to put it, the fussy period. <laughs> so as you said, regression is the wrong term for it because it is a period of progress. So your baby may be progressing physically, cognitively, cognitively emotionally, neurologically. There's a, lots of things can cause sleep to take a back seat. So basically what is happening is that while your child is learning a new skill, their brain is taken up the majority of their brain is taken up with all of that new skill and practicing it and filing it and solidifying it and creating all of those neural pathways so that it happens. So their already limited skills when it comes to sleep are pushed aside um, until they can master that new skill. Once they get through that sleep regression, the sleep skills will come back, but you should support them through that period of progression. It shouldn't be that you, you know, so your baby's just learned to crawl or they're learning to crawl and they get super frustrated, don't they? They pull their little knees up underneath them and they're rocking and they're like getting, uh, and they're crying and they're doing it in their cot and they want to do it all night long. You wouldn't just leave them 
to cry and be upset and you would you just wouldn't do that as a parent and so it's important that you help to support them you nurture the limited sleep skills that they already had and you give them a hand to go back to sleep because it's really important that they do sleep um but you then get to the other side of the regression and you if you had been helping them more than you would have liked to just sort of bringing back that assistance if you if you it depends on what you want if you want your child to sleep in the cot independently all night long and they've been doing that before the sleep regression helping them get back to that assistance that that point um yeah i just yeah the sleep term sleep regression is um it's a little bit brutal i don't like it it's um yeah, yeah progression is much better yeah i suppose there's a few major times when they do have really big um, leaps going on. But there's also, I mean, like you said before, temperament, my little bubba, it feels like there's constantly always something new going on. So um, we definitely do have periods where there's a lot more fussiness going going on, but it also can happen, you know, if they're not well or yes. if um, the temperature's not right. You know, we've had some super hot weather over summer, so that can cause a fussy period as yeah. well, can't they? So there's yeah. so many different things that could be going on. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like you can't – if you were blaming a sleep regression for your child's sleep, then, you know, your child's probably going to sleep quite poorly for the first two and a half years of their life because they're progressing so much in that amount of time. But your job as a parent is to support them through whatever changes that might happen. And, you know, most parents do. And I think it's um, this two shell pass. It's always a very good line to sort of remind yourself. You just think, well, it's not going to last forever. You know, it will pass. Help them through. Give them a hand to learn their new skill. Practice, practice, practice. Um, and then, you know, you can sort of work on whatever it is that you want to achieve after that time. And I think probably during that period of time, accepting that they are going to have, you're going to have some pretty tough nights. And so instead of maybe focusing all your attention on fixing, <laughs> fixing, fixing baby, yeah. Maybe looking inwards at yourself and how you can self-regulate for you and how you can nurture your health and well-being during that time, the sorts of things that you can do during the day, you know, exercise, drinking lots of water, getting outside, just, you know, napping as if you can, just to get you through. Yes. I suppose at those major times in a baby's life when they're not sleeping, it could be a time when the mum does want to make those changes. Um, (laughs) what would you say when is the best time if they do want to make some any adjustments or changes when's the best time for them to do that look the best time is when the mum or the dad or the parent the caregiver feels ready there is no best time realistically um your baby is going through so many changes in that first 12 months of their life that you know you you would be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting um so whenever the parent feels like they can commit to making changes um, or that they're ready to sort of, that they're ready to do it. Like you can't, it's almost like, it's like trying to tell someone who's a heavy smoker, you have to quit smoking. Do you know what I mean? So unless they actually wanted to, well, what's the point? Because they're not, they're not going to, you know, and it's the same thing with baby sleep. Um and like what might be a problem for me might not be a problem for you and that's an important thing to remember as well you know like some people are they're fine they're like oh they're a baby and I love it I love giving the cuddles you know in the night time I think that's 
that's amazing. You know, people only come to me when they have the issues and they have the problems and they're like, I need help. When someone is feeling like their um, mental health is suffering yeah. and they're really in a, in a bad, tough place, that's definitely when you would probably see them um, or when they might be reaching out for help. And I suppose there's um, lots of different ways that that help could look. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, generally when I when mums come to me for help, it's usually because they're like, oh, I have tried so many things and I am at breaking point. This has gotten to the point where I don't feel good about being a parent and it's affecting their relationships and it's affecting, you know, all aspects of their life. You know, maybe they have to get up and go to work and they're not able to do that and they don't feel safe to, you know, be driving and things like that. And so that that is the point when I generally see people. Um, yeah, so that's usually people are usually quite committed by the time they get to that point. Okay, so I want to talk to you about um, naps and nap adjustments. Mm -hmm. It's probably, if I look at your, um, you do that Q&A on your stories, yeah. that would have to be the most commonly asked question is about when to drop a nap and when to move the nap and adjust the nap. And I, I remember for me in the first, probably this first six months, I spent so much time doing that stupid maths trying to work out naps eventually I threw it out the window and, and for us naps has never really um, changed anything in terms of my bub sleep so we just um, kind of roll with it roll with it <laughs> definitely what we do um, and it's only now at like 14 months 15 months we can make some sort of changes towards independent sleep but um, still naps is still a here there go whatever is happening um, but it can, for some people, make a big difference, can't it? It can, yeah. yeah. So talk to us a bit about um, nap adjustments and, yeah. and what's involved. So I – look, sleep is a 24-hour need. And this is also saying that, like, by the time people get to the point of speaking to me, um, they're sort of needing some sort of heavy help. So – this is in my experience as a parent and as a sleep consultant. Um, so sleep so as a 24-hour need, and you obviously want to distribute that because we want us as adults for it to fit in with our lifestyles because we're all busy, you know, we've got jobs and families and you know, we live a bit of a fast-paced lifestyle. Um, so we would like, ideally, for our baby to be sleeping for a long period over time, overnight um, and you... The idea behind nap routines is that you optimise daytime sleep to support nighttime sleep. So um, you will find sometimes, not all the time, but, you know, sometimes when babies are sleeping quite well, um, you'll find that if they need to have a nap adjustment, they'll start to which is probably what you see in my Q&A, you know, like, oh, my baby's just started waking up early. My baby's just started resisting bedtime. Or my baby's just started waking up early from their second nap of the day. And, like, what do I do? And those sort of issues can be managed, I suppose, by um, nap adjustments. Um, but, look, some people are very go with the flow and their kids are very go with the flow and I think it really works for some people whereas some people love a schedule love a routine which is why you know things like Tissy Hall and Save Our Sleep are so she's very controversial but hugely popular because she gives you something to look at on a piece of paper that you can follow because it takes away that guesswork and it takes away that 
Um, oh, are you tired? Are you not tired enough? I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know. What do you want from me? So I think that um, routine really works well for some people for that reason. Like I know I'm very much a routine person. I like to know, you know, my kids are going to go to sleep at this time and it just makes me feel, it's that control thing. <laughs> it makes me feel nice and in control because, I don't know, I just like to know that I'm going to get a good night's sleep, which doesn't always happen. <laughs> But, you know, I like to think I will. <laughs> the idea is there. <laughs> and so what's the um, go with having, you hear often in the afternoon that if they have too much awake time leading up to bedtime, it can impact their sleep. You would commonly, you would think if they were very tired, they would Just go, go to, to sleep. sleep and then have a really solid night. Yeah, it doesn't happen often. No, it doesn't. See, this is that sciencey thing. This is why, like, I love this. Um, so, throughout the day, I'll start with the very beginning of the sciencey part. So, don't you know? Don't lose me and get bored. Um, so, there's two hormones that influence sleep: melatonin, which is the sleep hormone. So, that is rising at nighttime, and that is what makes all of us as human beings go to sleep at nighttime and stay asleep all night. And then there is cortisol. So cortisol is the hormone that wakes us up in the morning and keeps us awake throughout the day. So cortisol begins rising after midnight. So melatonin is very, very high in the first half of the night, starts dropping off, and then your cortisol naturally starts rising, which is why you may see babies, especially little babies. I don't know if you remember this from when your little man was a bubba, but like the second half of the night could quite restless they can be quite wakeful it's always a bit harder to get them to go back to sleep that's because their cortisol is naturally rising so cortisol once you get up for the day goes up um when so the idea of naps for babies is that it gives their brain a rest so they're very easily overstimulated um so their brains need regular little rests which is what naps are so that they can sort of reboot bring that cortisol down before it then starts rising again during the next awake time. The longer you are awake, this goes for everybody, the longer you're awake, the higher your cortisol goes. So it keeps going up and up and up until you sleep and it comes back down. Um, so in the afternoon, for a baby who has a very long awake period between going waking up from a nap and going to bed, um, obviously it changes with their age, their age-appropriate awake times, um, the cortisol rises and rises and rises. And because it's a stimulating hormone, it makes it very, very difficult to fall asleep and then to stay asleep. So even if you've had this, yeah, we've all been there, this big battle with your baby to get them to sleep and you've tried everything and it took you an hour, then they sleep for half an hour. And they wake up and they're screaming. They are just beside themselves because they are so tired and their body knows that they are so tired and they are just, they're just they're like, I can't sleep. And so that is why a long awake period is difficult, you know, for a bedtime. And then it also will affect the second half of the night. So with that naturally rising cortisol, you have this residual cortisol that's in your baby's body, which will then cause them to wake up at like four o'clock in the morning and be very awake. You know, it's so hard to get them to go back to sleep. Um, so you can kind of combat that by having age-appropriate awake times, which are different for every child, but there is usually a general ballpark that um, each particular age will be capable of. Um, and trying to have them asleep within that awake time so that they don't have this build-up of cortisol, which will then go on to affect, you know, subsequent naps and night sleep.
I can only think of um, in my own personal situation if you know if I ever worked oh, like way back in the day when I would work <laughs> in a bar and oh, if gosh. I worked until like midnight you would think you know I would I sort of would think I would go home and just crash and go to bed and have a good night's sleep I would always have the worst night's sleeps when I had a late bedtime yeah or if I'd had a big night and we'd been out all night, yes. I always would wake up really early mm-hmm. in the morning. Instead of sleeping through, I would be up at like 5.30 yeah. or something ridiculous. And that's not fair, is it? No. <laughs> and I suppose the same is yeah. the case I can, the baby. Totally the same. I'm, as I said, a nurse. And so if I work night shift, I cannot sleep the next day. I sleep for a few hours in the morning and I just have a terrible night's sleep the following night. And you would think, because I'd been up, all night long that I would sleep super well but I can't because I'm obviously and you probably are as well just really sensitive to that overload of cortisol sleep is a funny funny thing isn't it and it's not just um during baby and toddlers I mean adults it's one of the biggest things insomnia and sleep issues is a huge huge problem and I suppose the trick um or the tricky part with babies and kids is um there's such that variety of what's their normal. Yeah. And so trying to work that out for you and your own baby can yeah. be a bit challenging. It but definitely what, what do you need or where do you sit on yeah. that spectrum? Yeah. Challenge. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I think also as well, like for first time mums, like I know that I I Googled and I searched the internet and I spoke to people and I had all of these really different opinions and I found it so overwhelming. So much so that I didn't listen to my own intuition because I was so busy trying to implement all of this advice that I could see had worked for people around me instead of going, okay, well, what's going to work for us? Um, That's me. That was totally me. Yes. Yes, for a long long time. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of mums nodding their heads saying, that's me. Like, I did that or I'm doing that, you know. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's very overwhelming and it can be... It can cause a lot of anxiety um, for oh, a lot of mums. For sure. I remember reaching out to a friend and being like, I don't know. I can't I like I can't tap into my own intuition. I said, I don't know anymore what my own baby wants because I had been trying to consume so much information. Yeah. And instead of sleeping at night time, you want to Yeah. <laughs> second time around if that happens i would not be good no, at that no. time and, you, and that's the thing is you won't you no. won't because the second time you're like oh okay like thank you for your advice you know and not just with sleep with lots of things thank you thanks for your advice i'll you know file that away if i need it yeah. um and just you definitely feel your intuition a lot more the second time around um and i'm sure subsequent days after that yeah now, if you are going to make a um, an adjustment or a change, whether it be a nap adjustment or any other kind of little um, change that you're doing, how long um, would you generally recommend someone stick with that before they ditch it if it's not working? Obviously, if it's working, great. But if yeah. it wasn't working, is there sort of like an amount of time that you could try that instead? Because it can be really... Like you said, it causes a lot of anxiety if you're yeah. trying to do this adjustment. Like trying to follow a routine or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's just it's not, not working. working. Yeah. Um, I think if you want to give it a red hot go, try for a week. Mm-hmm. If it's not working for you, either try something different or just try and find, you know, if something was working for you before, just go back to doing that thing. You know, um, the thing with nap adjustments is that 
So they typically happen around similar times. Do you know what I mean? So, like, for you, it's your little bloke on two naps. He's just transitioning to one. Yeah. So this is, you know, like, and this is the thing is you're like, generally, it would happen at a particular time. And I do find when people are sort of, I should say, in my experience, doing this role, um, when people are like, oh, like I had a client just recently who their baby is four months old and she was having two naps and I was, it, it, just nothing was working because she was awake all night and she was horribly overtired and I was like, oh, that's probably because she's only having two naps. So let's sort that out and let's add in an extra nap and let's, you know, do this, this and this. And it kind of made things work a bit better because the two naps wasn't working. Um, and so things tend to happen on a bit of a timeline. Um, same with your sleep regressions. They are on a little bit of a timeline. Um, and it's usually when babies are capable of extra wait time and things like that. But in terms of, um, say, if you were trialing a new sleep training technique um, and trying to help your baby to, you know, fall asleep independently in the cot going from co-sleeping, if you've tried for a couple of days and it's not working and everyone's getting upset, you should stop because that's not going to be a positive experience for anybody. You should go back to what you were doing. Everyone can have a reset and you can make a different plan. Like there's no point persisting with something that's clearly not working and is distressing everybody. Um, Yeah, I think that it's so hard because we just talked about, you know, you get so much conflicting information and it can be difficult to hear your own intuition. And so it's difficult to know because you're like, oh, well, this person told me this and I should be doing this. I have to do this. And it's, yeah, yeah. But if something's clearly not working, just stop, just stop for your own sake, for your own mental health sake. <laughs> just, yeah. Go back to what was working. Go back to what was working. You should definitely go back to what was working. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Um, alrighty. Well, I think we should maybe jump into a few myth-busting uh, yeah. things with uh, sleep. So I've got a few here that I want us to dive through. Um, first one is sleeping through the night. So um, <laughs> this will pop the, up. The holy grail. <laughs> yeah, it is the holy grail. And you hear it when you're in your mum's group. It's like, oh, my baby's sleeping through the night. And you think that means that they're going from seven till seven. <laughs> Sleeping through the night is different for everyone, right? If it makes anyone feel better, I have a three and a half year old who still doesn't sleep seven till seven, so. <laughs> um, okay, so technically speaking, if you were to say sleeping through the night, so it's actually only sleeping for a stretch of five hours. So sleeping through the night, like you said, looks different for everybody. Um I think that seven to seven is just a ridiculous expectation, to be quite honest with you. Um, Find me a baby who actually does that every night. Like, I would love to hear about parents who have babies that do that because that is incredible. Um, Unicorn babies. Unicorn babies. So sleeping through the night is a milestone. Like with anything that your baby achieves, they will get there when they are ready. Um, My 13-month-old slept through the night for the first time, like, last week. I'm not even joking. So I think that, yeah, to say that they should be achieving it by a particular time is unfair um, and puts a lot of pressure on parents, you know, particularly mums, because we tend to we tend to compare ourselves. And for someone to be saying that, I think it's actually like, I would never brag. Don't brag. 
That's not fair. <laughs> it isn't fair. If your kids doing that, then we don't want to know. About it. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. Like brag to someone who doesn't have kids, not to the mums in your mum's group, <laughs> because they don't need to hear it. <laughs> and often they might say, "Oh, their baby's sleeping through the night," and then you think that they are doing that when maybe there's babies waking up four a.m. They're doing they're... from seven to four, which fabulous exactly or maybe but then you make changes from like 11 until 6 in the morning you know like yeah. like you said it looks different for everybody um yeah and you don't want to change something that you're doing that might be working for you because you think that if you do something different your baby will sleep yeah. through the night yeah yeah funny one <laughs> um okay the next one Babies will start to sleep through by six months yeah that's ridiculous <laughs> I, was say, I think you just busted that that away. is ridiculous <laughs> Why would you set the bar so high for, you know, mothers of babies over six months old? So sleeping, babies need to feed at night time, like full stop. Every baby needs to feed at night time. They get hungry, they have tiny tummies, they, they need to wake up at night time to feed. Um, among other things, like for whatever reason else they might wake at night time, like you said before, they might be sick, they need a cuddle, maybe they're cold, maybe they did a poo, who knows, like... But who knows what they've done but they're sleeping through the night in terms of not feeding and i think that's what people kind of refer to when they say their baby slept through the night um realistically you know you could be feeding your baby right up until 12 months old through the night so it all it's very dependent on the amount of food that they eat in the daytime to support them sleeping well at night time you know if you imagine milk so breast milk and formula they don't have, like, it won't keep them full all night long. That's another myth. Is that on there? Like, formula-fed babies will sleep through first? No, but that is a good one. <laughs> Absolutely not true. Um, so it doesn't keep them full for long enough. So the idea of when you introduce solids is to introduce things that can support night sleep. So you want things that will regulate um, blood sugar overnight. So you want, like, protein. You want um, You want carbohydrates. You want to have things that are going to keep your bubble full until the night. But even then, when they begin to sleep well um, for longer periods overnight, you'll find they still wake up because if they had dinner at, you know, 5.30 in the evening then they had a feed at 6.30. Like come 4 in the morning or 3 in the morning, they're probably, they're probably hungry again because, you know, what's a baby really eat? Like half a cup of food? Like not enough to keep them going through the night. So... Yeah, total, utter, no. Rubbish. <laughs> Rubbish. And also, how often do you kind of in the middle of the night when you wake up, you roll over and you snuggle into your partner and you're like, oh, just snuggly. Yeah. I just want to have a little, your bud's the same, there's a little snuggly. And everybody wakes up through the night, to be fair. Yeah. Like, technically, nobody puts their head on the pillow and sleeps solid until the morning. But everyone's going through sleep cycles through the night. Um, and sometimes you might wake up because you need to go and have a wee or you might wake up because... You know, a, a, um, a car drove past really fast and beat their horn or something. Like, something might wake you up through the night, but then you return to sleep because, you know, that's what your body's geared to do at night time. Um, but everybody sleeps in cycles, and that is very, very normal. Sometimes your baby's sleep cycles at night time may be a little bit more prominent because they're relying on something to help them go to sleep, but that's okay. Now, I'm going to, you did touch on it already, and I just want to extend a little bit more on it. Um, you said about the formula-fed baby sleep, uh, yeah, the myth that they sleep through or they sleep better, which is a false thing, but you often see or hear of parents doing top-up feeds and... In the hopes oh, that their baby yeah, will sleep better. Yeah, yeah. 
What what is that all about? <laughs> because people think that formula will fill their baby up more than breast milk. So I actually read a study, wasn't that recent, it was like six months ago or something, but I read a study that looked at the gastric emptying of formula versus breast milk. So that is how quickly um, your stomach um, it like digests the milk um, and then releases it into you know, the rest of the digestive tract. I think formula had an extra 30 minutes. Like nothing. Nothing. Like negligible. I think that sometimes what can happen with formula-fed babies versus breastfed babies, um, and this isn't like having a dig at formula versus um, breastfeeding, I think fed is absolutely best and you should do what works for you. But the difference is that breastfed babies will wake up for a lot of different reasons um, and will want to feed at the breast not just because they're hungry. So breastfed babies will wake up because they want that closeness to their mum or because they, I don't know, maybe they've got sore teeth or they're a bit unwell or they just had a big day. You know, like, so breastfed babies wake up for a lot of different reasons, whereas formula-fed babies will usually wake up because they are hungry. Um, and it's just a different feeding relationship that that baby has with their parent. And it's, like I said, it's not anything against the way that the baby is fed it's just that that seems to be more of the reality in terms of breast versus formula fed um, but in saying that I have plenty of clients who are formula fed and they're waking up all night long so <laughs> yeah trust me that is not a thing and if you are breastfeeding and you want to breastfeed your baby and you don't want to introduce formula certainly don't do it because you think it will make them sleep for longer because it will not no. I can only think there must be a very, very big marketing reason behind. I would imagine so, yes. Yes, I think so. Some company is making money. Um, okay, the next one. If you don't sleep train your baby, they will never sleep well. You know, this is actually an interesting one because I would have – so saying sleep training. So if we don't teach your child to sleep independently – that they will never sleep well. I would have thought that, yes, that was true. However, I actually read something recently, and this was very recent, that said quite the contrary. And it said that by the time children hit five, the difference in the sleep versus a sleep-trained baby and a not-sleep-trained baby, I don't even know what that means, but anyway, um, was negligible. Wow. I know. I was actually very surprised. But then I kind of think about it and I think, well, I, that's not surprising. So I use my niece and nephew as a um, comparison. Um, my niece was just a dream sleeper from the start. Um, I think my brother and his wife may have done like a few little things to help her through. But she was like, for the most part, great little sleeper. My nephew, not so much. Um, not that he was bad, but, you know, would like get up and go into his parents' room and sleep in there, which like they were cool with that and that was fine. And he's about to turn five, and now I think about it, he just he sleeps like any other five year old. Yeah, and like it's um it's quite interesting. So I would say that that is is not a thing. No, so it's not a thing. It's not it. a thing. But I think that the important thing to look at is um, how your baby is sleeping, and if how that's going for you. Yeah, I was going to say it's really more what I think with 
this whole conversation and, and lots of other reading and research that I've looked at, it is creating the sustainable sleep strategies for mum and dad or mum and partner. Yes. Or dad and dad or whatever your combo is. Whoever, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, sustainable sleep strategies to get you through those five years then yeah. or whatever that period of time is. Yeah. I mean, eventually they're going to be sleeping well. You're not going to yeah. hopefully have a teenager jumping in your bed, but maybe you will. I was just going to say, look, and if that works for you, hey, that's great, yeah. you know, and you should do that. But I think that, yeah, that's quite interesting, isn't it? And I think that's probably really refreshing for a lot of parents. That's not to say that you need to um, battle through the depths of sleep deprivation and despair for five years. Um, but if you are doing something, and like if your kid's waking up at night time, and I talk to lots of parents who are like, oh, yeah, like, you know, my two, three-year-old wakes up at night time and, like, you know, I go and give him a cuddle. My three-year-old wakes up at night time and we go and give him a cuddle and he goes back to sleep. Like, it's just, you know, so, look, I find it comforting to know that by the time they all hit five, we're all going to have a full night's sleep and it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This <laughs> no, seems like such a long way away. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, the next one. If you don't put your baby down drowsy but awake, they won't sleep through or they won't learn to self-settle. I think that the look, I find the drowsy but awake thing very confusing. Um and I won't go as far as to say it's completely untrue because I actually spoke to a mum this morning who was like, oh, yeah, sometimes I put him down drowsy but awake and, like, he opens his eyes, he looks around, he rolls a bit and then he goes to sleep. I was like, wow, that's amazing. But for the most part, I don't think that's true because imagine if you were having a cuddle with your partner and you were almost asleep and they're cuddling you and then suddenly when you're almost asleep, they just, like, let go. You'd be like, whoa, what? hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the same goes for a baby, you know. You go from cuddling them or doing whatever it is that you're doing to get them to that drowsy point, and then you put them in a cot or a bassinet or whatever by themselves, and they're just like, well, uh-uh, hang on, bring that back. Also, it's a cold cot, yeah. it's hard. Yes. It's, yeah, you don't have... Look, I certainly don't think that the drowsy but awake is the answer to problems as the internet would portray that it is um, and it is certainly not the way to teach your baby to go to sleep independently but I do think it works for some people um, I found it very confusing myself though so it's probably the most confusing line I've ever read actually that one and the um, baby sleeping through by six months they are listed on some of the biggest like um, websites and even like government run Oh dear. Websites. You know, things that it should be reliable sources or that we think are reliable sources. Mm. And you know, it's sort of like portraying a message that's not that's not real. Right. Yeah. You know, and not fair. Yeah. It's not like, fair. No, because I just think why would you set these unattainable goals for parents who are already struggling, you know? Um, it's just that added pressure and yes. anxiety. Yeah. Now, with my this whole podcast that I'm doing. Um, everything is about helping the parents make the right choices for them. Yes. Um, so for me and my family, we've done lots of feed to sleep, come to sleep. We have um, a floor bed and we move between the cot and on the floor bed. And we sometimes, like last night, I get in there at 3 a.m. and sleep with him until the morning. And we're, we're very much go with the flow. Not that we haven't tried strategies because we've definitely tried strategies, but this is what's working for us at this point. But um, 
other strategies, like we said, work for other people. So I want to hear from you what your strategies are for your clients so that people can kind of work out if you're someone that would gel with them. So it's very much an individual basis. So I talk to the families and we sort of work out what's going to work for them. We, we, set, we set some goals, you know, so what do you want to achieve? What what Where do you want to get to? Because, you know, what might be a goal for some one family isn't a goal for another family, you know. So some families want their baby to sleep through the night, <laughs> seven to seven. Um, and then some families are like, well, I don't mind getting up to feed them in the second half of the night. Or all I want them to do is, like, nap well or, like, you know, sleep independently. Exactly. You don't and have to stand and rock. Exactly. That one we had to. And the, yeah, <laughs> so hard. So hard. Um, to fall, yeah, so it's very based on the individual um, and the individual family and how they would like to go about things. You know, people sometimes approach me and say, well, this is how I want to do it. You know, some people say, I want to use control crying. Some people say, I am only open to in the room gentle methods. And so everything is tailored to one family, one particular family, based on their goals, the child's sleep issues, what's going on, the child themselves, you know, like it's got to, it's very much to do with their age um, and, you know, what it is that they're doing at that point in time, you know, if they've just started walking or they're climbing out of the cot or whatever the reason is that family has approached me. So I think it's um very individual. It's funny you say about the floor bed thing. I just thought I would add this in. Um I often sleep on the floor in my baby's room and there are definitely times when she ends up on that mattress with me and I think that that's really normal. Like I don't think that parents should, I think you were very smart in putting in a double, like a big floor bed um, because it's quite cramped on the single one. Um, But like that is the reality of parenting. Like, you are your child's safe place and you should provide that support to them when they need it. And if that means sleeping on a mattress on the floor with them, then that's what it means, you know? Like, it's just it's just part of parenting. And I think parents should do it shamelessly. They shouldn't feel bad about it and they shouldn't feel judged and they shouldn't feel like they're doing something wrong. Um, I think it's really important to just do what's going to work for you guys at the time because there is nobody else in your house at 3 o'clock in the morning, um, you know, all those people who have given you that advice throughout, you know, the first six months of your baby's life, um, they're not there with you, doing it with you. It's you and your baby and you need to do what's working for you guys. I um, heard or read something the other day which was looking at – Older generations, so I was talking to older generations, so like our baby's grandparents, um, what what was happening back in their day. <laughs> and it's funny that you said you were, you're on the floor. They often had stories of kids that would want so badly, just want to be next to their mum and dad. Mm. They would sleep on the floor next to mum and dad's bed yeah. or at the door of their mum and dad's bedroom. They would rather be on the hard, solid floor with their than in, yeah, in their own room. I know. Yeah. I know. I, 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 yeah, our parents were pretty hardcore, I must say. Um, yeah, they were. <laughs> I was talking to some mums this morning who said that they're, um, they're like, oh, yeah, I slept in like a hutch cot. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like a baby jail. <laughs> What's a hutch cot? <laughs> it's got like a 
lid on it that you uh, close. Oh, but it, uh, yes, there you go. Yeah, basically yes. And I was like, well, there you go. Um, I think that our parents were sort of of a tough love era. Yeah, and um, a different era where they were really trying to push women back into the work industry mm. sooner, which is where the whole formula thing came into play. Yes. I think, and lots of other. Yes, <laughs> and I think now as well we are so much more empathetic towards our babies and we try to, instead of, like I think our parents were very authoritarian in their parenting practices, whereas now we try to be a little bit more authoritative. I don't know if you know much about parenting styles, but we try to sort of um, foster independence in our children but without forcing it on them, which I feel like our parents very much did. Like I don't know about your parents, but I remember my parents saying to me once or should. Children should be seen and not heard. Or like, you know, sit when you went to the pub or something for dinner, because that's what we did. That's what we did. Yeah, <laughs> you had to sit there and sort of be quiet because the adults were talking. Whereas like, I would never do that to my children. Like I like having a conversation with them and I don't expect them to sit at the table and eat all of their dinner and, you know, be very obedient and things like that. So I think it's just a different generation thing. Um, so it will be interesting actually to see how our children – turn out when they become adults because of this like different parenting that we're sort of implementing now yeah that's true and we will never know <laughs> what was the right or wrong if there was exactly. a right or wrong. i don't think that our parents did it wrong i just think no, that they did it's it just differently. Different. Yeah, yeah yeah um I just, yeah but it'll be um it'll be quite cool to see how our kids grow up yeah definitely yeah. definitely all right, so now we're getting near the end of this chat, but I want to hear what's your best advice to a mum who is sleep-deprived and maybe really struggling with their mental well-being? If you're struggling with your mental health, you should always seek help. I've, like, I've been there and I've felt that, and it's a scary place to be. Um, and if you are struggling with your mental health, you need to reach out to people, so you need to your partner or your friends or your family or you know, speak to your GP or your mum's group or anyone you feel will support you um, and sort of have that on their radar so people know that you're struggling. I think asking for help, not just, you know, saying I'm struggling, but also like, you know, if you have the resources available to, you know, like if you've got, you know, I know everyone's not so lucky, but if you've got your mum around and your mum can come and do the night for you so you can get some sleep, you know, like utilise that. Don't feel bad about asking for help because when, or if people offer help, don't feel bad about saying yes um, because they are being genuine in their offer. They wouldn't offer if they didn't want to help you. Um, and then obviously call me. Um, I'm happy to help. Um, but aside from me, there is definitely other resources that you could kind of access. Um, yeah. Definitely learning from these conversations that I've been having lately. There is a lot of fabulous help available oh, here yeah. in the Southwest. Um, and we always have all the links to those um, in the show notes for people to find if they need an access point. But there is lots of help available. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Great. Some great GPs um, who are very geared towards mums and maternal mental health. Um, we've got specific mums groups for mums struggling with mental health issues. Um, yeah, there is a there is a lot of help out there. Actually, there is the Mama Tribe. So that is available on the internet, but you can 
join up to the Mama Tribe and they can actually connect you with other mums in your area. I'm not actually sure if it's big here in the southwest, but I certainly know like in like metro centres around the country, it's really big and apparently really, really great. Okay, so lastly, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Well, I do have an Instagram page, um, so it's Sleep by Sarah, um, all one word. <laughs> and I have a website, so if you want to have a you know little look on there. And you have your stories Q and A that you often put up, don't you? So people can. I try to do it once a week. Um, doesn't always happen like that, but I try to get there. Um, and I do also like share my own sleep struggles on there, just so that people know they're not alone. So I do. Like, my little girl was um, waking up early and all through the night recently, so I shared, like, how I managed that. Um, we're still in the process of managing it. Um, but, you know, putting it on my stories just so that people can, like, you know, either follow along because they're experiencing the same thing or just know that they are not alone, you know. There's other people going through the same stuff. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. This no is a wealth of information that will be very helpful for lots of families. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Unscripted with Alex. This show was brought to you by Batika Co.